All right, my friends, before we get into today's Live Inspired podcast, something cool that is happening more frequently going forward is that as I prepare to share my story on stages, I'm not known to that audience as a speaker. And I'm not known usually to that audience as an author. Instead, a whole lot of the ladies and gentlemen in the room are already following me and our work through the Live Inspired podcast. They're listening, in other words, to this voice right now through their own channels. Very cool. We've had more than a million downloads, as you know. It's a top 20 iTunes show, as you may know, which is very cool. But it also means that a whole lot of ladies and gentlemen are unaware of my number one national best-selling book. It's where I encapsulate in so many regards, the best of our story. It's called On Fire. It's a worthy read. It's been celebrated by Brene Brown and Dave Ramsey, Joe Buck, a whole lot of other luminaries who have talked about the impact of this book and their lives. It also has received more than 1,500 five-star reviews online that has very little to do with this guy's voice or the man who wrote it and everything to do with the reader with the impact in the reader's life and ultimately what it does for us professionally, what it does for us relationally, spiritually, relationally, and in every aspect of our life that actually matters. It's called On Fire. It is available. But rather than sending you to your nearby bookstore today, what I'm encouraging you to do right now is to let your fingers do the walking. Come on over to johnolearyinspires.com forward slash free. This is a gift. I want you to be able to check out the first two chapters of On Fire. So come on over to visit me right now at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash free. And if you want to share this story, share this book with your friends, with your family, with your clients or contacts this holiday season, awesome. I think with all the divisions going on around us in our community, with all the reasons for fear and trepidation and anxiety and and nervousness looking forward, why not share a message about love and hope and faith and possibility and the truth that the best is yet to come? You can learn more at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash free. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary. So happy to have you here joining us on the Live Inspired Movement. Are there individuals in your life who inspire you to do more or to smile more, to give more? to experiment more, or to love more. In other words, are there people in your life who inspire you to live more? Well, for me, one such person is my new friend. His name is Bob Goff. Bob is a recovering attorney. He's a risk taker, an active father, a constant learner, a courageous leader, a joyful child, and a best-selling author, in addition to being a world-class human being. He is on the Live Inspired podcast with us today, So I invite you right now to buckle up, open up your hearts, your minds, your souls just a little bit wider, take out your journals, get ready to take some notes because I get to bring you on a guy who is on fire for life. His name, Bob Goff. Bob, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Hey, thanks a million, John. I'm so glad to be talking to you. 
Uh, it really is an honor. I know you uh, you are polled in quite a few directions. So let's talk about a few right now. Bob, for those who don't yet know your story or what you do today professionally, give us a snapshot of uh, of who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, uh, you wouldn't know me unless you knew my family. And there's sweet Maria Goff, who's been married to me for 32 years, two months and three weeks. And uh, then we have three kids and uh, two of them are married and one's expecting a kid. And so that's the snapshot. That is actually who I am. Uh, and then what I do, I have a, you know, a day job for a lot of years as a lawyer, uh, but then it all got destroyed uh, maybe a decade or so ago because I made the mistake of writing a book called Love Does. And a publisher had asked me, would you write a book? And I'm like, I don't know. Will you build a school? I'll trade you <laughs> one book for one school. Uh, and I made him pay me in advance. I didn't know if it'd be any good. We started a school in uh, Gulu, Uganda for these kids that had been bouncing back from this decades-long civil war there. Uh, and then we went from like nine kids to 19 and uh, 900. And so it's about uh, 11 or 1200 kids there now. So part of the uh, time I spend there, but they sold millions of these things. So we just started building schools elsewhere. So we've got one in Mogadishu, Somalia, Iraq, uh, Nepal, India, Afghanistan, um, so that's what I do, which cracks me up because my worst subject in school was school, <laughs> but well, I'm actually pretty good at starting them. You're uh, you're pretty good at inspiring the rest of us to start them as well, whether it's schools or just living into the best versions of who we are called to be. And I think we grow to the level that we do in part because of the people who influence when we're growing up. You You had some terrific influences. Why don't you talk just briefly about your grandma and grandpa? Oh, those guys, they were great. My uh, grandfather was a uh, fireman uh, on the docks in San Francisco Bay. He worked the graveyard shift for 40 years. And get this, he never put out a fire. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if he knew how to. But what he was really good is loving me. And uh, and so I I would say that would be, like many of us, we're uh, kind of uh, known for our opinions, but we're remembered for our love. And Mm. he would be a guy remembered for his love. My uh, grandmother uh, never learned to drive. She worked at the switchboard. Remember the old days where he'd plug, you know, the cord from this one into that little mm-hmm. socket in the wall? Yeah. So she did that. And uh, boy, she was just the most loving person as well. And so I grew up really well loved by them. And um, and so it, at the eve of being a grandfather myself, that's my big ambition. I just want to be a rockin' grandfather. I just, and I think that'd be worth thinking about for some of your listeners uh, to be famous with your family. Wow, um, that t- that t- would be. Tell me what that, really, Bob. What does that mean to you? Being famous for your family and famous with your family. Famous with your family, like uh, you could. Uh, it takes a little bit of a reflection for each of us to say, "Why are you doing what you're doing?" Because if you're doing it for the applause, join the circus. Um, but if you're doing it because you really think this is something that'll last, uh, then I would just do it with all of your gusto you can uh, like muster. And uh, investing in your family is always a great bet. Uh, you could fill an arena full of strangers, uh, but I would say, uh, what if you filled your living room full of family members? Mm. And say, here's where it gets difficult too: is that sometimes it can get awkward. It isn't just like this. Uh, you know, leave it to beaver family that we all have, uh, that we have these difficulties. Um, but I think though, all the effort that we spend uh, investing in our families is worth it. 
um, that that would be something you'd be remembered for. My f- first CD, Bob, this is going to date me a little bit, but uh, it was a John Cougar. He used to have a middle name, apparently, Mellencamp. And uh, yes. w- w- one of the songs on there was, I think it was titled Pink Houses. If it wasn't called Pink Houses, it sang about pink houses. Your grandma and grandfather had a pink house. They did. Isn't that awesome? Who it, has a pink house? I've never seen yeah. one outside of Florida. So tell me about their pink house and why <laughs> theirs was pink. I think they were just really, they were, they were really lived uninhibited by anybody else around them. They, they weren't interested in what everybody else thought about things. They thought about that being the fullest expression of themselves. And here's the crazy thing. They weren't hated because they had the pink house and they weren't loved because they had the pink house. They were loved. They were adored because of who they were. Mm. And they just happened to have a pink house. So like they're, their love was their statement, not their house. <laughs> well, that, that love was passed on to their grandbaby into your life. It also led to you not only being naturally optimistic and full of vibrancy, but also determined. There's so many stories, Bob, from your past that we could unpack on this, but I, I think the one that exhibits at best is law school. You were not cut out necessarily for law school, and yet that was the drive that you had as a, as a college grad. So talk about getting into law school. Yeah, the crazy thing uh, is that I took all the tests to get into law school. It's an LSAT, and it just, i they nailed it. I mean, it just pegged me exactly where I was <clears throat> intellectually, which is like far below what it would take to get into law school. <laughs> and I sent out all my applications to these law schools, and they all said the same thing, which is forget it. Um, right. But there was one that I hadn't heard from. And uh, so I went there and I met the dean and I said, I, you know, I applied your law school, really want to be a lawyer. I don't want a convertible. I actually want to make a difference in the world and uh, particularly overseas. And so uh, he asked me about my GPA and LSAT score. And as I'm telling him, he's walking me towards the door. He's like, you know, we have many qualified candidates and you're not one of them. And so he thought he was done with me, but there was a, a bench outside of his door so i sat on the bench and 30 minutes later when he left to go somewhere i looked up and i said just tell me to get my books mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like kind of like uh, the centurion of the bible it's like jesus was talking to him he said all you have to do is say the word and uh and you don't even have to come and so i said just man all you have to do is say the words get your books mm. and so he left he kind of grinned and he came back an hour later and i'm still sitting there it's like a sit-in <laughs> and uh i said just tell me to get my books and I, now this is seven days before law school and then six days and then five days but every single day i'm there eight in the morning stay all day tell me to get my books law school starts and i know this is the day he's going to tell me to get my books and so i'm sitting there and he walks up crickets nothing second day of law school third day of law, i'm not even in law school and i'm behind and, and it was i think the fourth day and i heard the footfall you know when you hear somebody walking mm-hmm. up to the door and I was thinking, you know, it's a little bit early for his bathroom break, but, you know, he's had a lot of water. And so I just had his schedule nailed. I was all ready to tell him my line. And he uh, opened the door. He looked down to me and he said, go get your books. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how I got into law school. So I would say there's a lot of people that think about open doors and closed doors. They say like, you know, God or fate or whatever, close the door. And I'd say kick a couple down. Mm. If you've 
had this desire for decades. You thought it'd be this thing that would be a beautiful contribution to earth. And I would just go do it. Don't take no for an answer. Some guy named Billy says no. And you think God shut the door. I think all that happened in that transaction is a really insecure guy named Billy said no. Mm. (laughs) So what you need to decide, are you going to be a really insecure person and take the bait? Or are you going to say, no, I've wanted this my whole life. I'm doing it. So I don't know. That's I don't awesome. know. For each of us, it'll be different, but I wouldn't be easily dissuaded from your uh, most beautiful ambitions. Well, you weren't on law school and you had an even more beautiful ambition later on in life. You, you met a girl, sweet Maria, who just blew you away and you, uh, you've been kind of pursuing her for your entire life, but it was not an, it was not an easy sales job. So I'd like you to talk about, uh, about pursuing your wife. Yeah, I'm actually, she's still trying to warm up to me <laughs> this 32 years later. I think I'm an acquired taste. Um, but yeah, I uh, she walked in the room and I'm like, yes, you will be mine. Uh, but she wouldn't have anything to do with me. She would go on a date with me for years. Uh, the first thing I did, I think I may have creeped her out a little bit. I showed up, I met her on like day one, day two. I go to the fabric store and I get a big square of uh, like nylon fur and I show up at her door with a couple button eyes and some thread and stuffing. And I said, let's make a teddy bear together. (laughs) (laughs) She was totally freaked out. She's like, oh my gosh. And then when, when she, but she reluctantly went along with it. And then when I was all done, I had a little patch of uh, red felt and I said let's make a heart <laughs> she's like oh my Bob I cannot believe she came back to this guy and man then, I, I'm oh, no, scared 2,000 miles from you right now yeah let's put a lock of each of our hair in the heart <laughs> <laughs> this is day two that, that cost me six months um, but I was just so like over the moon about this whole thing and I, I just hope for some of your listeners you find something that you're passionate about that you're over the moon about that it's just this wild like there's always more like you could do this thing and you're not thinking about it as much about how it will be received is what you'll get mm. and so uh you're not looking for anything in return what you're looking for is just a full expression of your love you have been pursuing love i think that's the best way to kind of sum it up your whole life and you've been sharing that pursuit with others, including your kids. September 11th comes, it uh, changes all of our lives. Bob, you you and your kids go on a letter writing campaign. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think um, what we did is we downloaded the uh, website from uh, the CIA. They've got like the name of every leader of every country in the whole world. And we thought we, we don't wanna be just observers, we wanna be participants. And our kids wrote a letter to every single leader on earth. And they said, uh, each of them had something different to say. Uh, Adam said, would you like to come over for a sleepover? And they thought, you know, like this would be an awesome way to, you know, kind of mend fences. And uh, Richard said, "Um, if you can't come over to our house, could we come over to your house and, and find out? Uh, what you're hoping for. And then Lindsay, our precocious one said, uh, tell you what, when we come over, could we do a videotape interview of you? And this is before podcasts and documentaries and all that. Could we do an interview of you and then pass a message of hope along to another world leader from Mm. you? 
And so we sent out all these letters. We got a post office box because we didn't want Ahmadinejad to know where we live. <laughs> and we sent all these letters out. And then we started getting all these replies. But it was like it would be like Tony Blair at the time. He'd say, like, you know, jolly good show. Forget it. But jolly good show. And then uh, the leader of this other country would say, like, you know, absolutely not. But here's a picture of me. <laughs> um, but then we got a letter from the prime minister of Switzerland. And he said, if you'll come to Bern, I'll give you your interview. Wow. And then and then the uh, president of Israel said, if you'll come to Jerusalem, I'll give you your interview. And the guy from all these Eastern Bloc countries started to say, if you'll come to Sofia, I'll give you your interview. And it was, we got 29 yeses. So we pulled the kids out of school, sold the car, and then just went and visited them all. It was awesome. It was crazy. Their, their teachers had a cow. I'm like, whatever, sue me. But I just think there's this something beautiful that happens when you say, I'm just not going to leave it for somebody else, uh, but I'm going to get some skin in the game. And uh, they, these guys didn't want to meet with uh, Marie and I. They wanted to meet with kids. They were precocious enough to believe that they could have a voice in this thing. And here's the crazy thing. These relationships have continued for, I don't know how long it's been, 15 years since mm -hmm. 9 11. Mm -hmm. Everybody's 15 years older. Some of these dictators are still dictating. <laughs> well. But the crazy part is we've stayed in contact. We've had some over our house. And the crazy part of the story is that you, what do you give to these guys? You know, a fountain pen or something. So we brought a key to our front door mm. and we gave each of them a key to the front door. We said, you're welcome anytime in that. What well, has been really fun is some of them have come over and used it. Are you kidding? <laughs> so this, yeah, that's so, a true story. They really do have a key to the yeah, golf front door. Yeah. Crazy thing. And Time so, to change the locks, Bob. One of the things that, no, it would be such a beautiful invasion. Um, what we want is uh, people to just uh, experience another level of friendship and authenticity. But there's no agenda. There's nothing on the other side of the equal sign, just a bunch of love. And it sounds really, you know, uh, like saccharine or, you know, you, know right. you just love people. But if you just love people without an agenda, you're trying to manipulate their conduct, wh whatever your worldview is. To just chill out, whether faith is a big deal for you, if somebody acts in a different way than you, just chill out, take a breath. I feel like you got to do something, get a puppy. Um, <laughs> one of the, the, but you don't need to be manipulating everybody's conduct. Just say like, just love people because you love them. So Bob, I've been following your work for a long time. And one of the things I love most about your heart and your life is you do these wild, wild, wild things. But everything you do is then pulled back to saying, this is what it means. So it's not just to go to Bern, Switzerland and say, yes, we, we're that great. But there's a reason behind everything and a lesson within everything. So my, my, my question, I guess, to you is looking now at your children who are now men and women themselves, what was the primary lesson from that letter writing campaign and those visits to these various leaders? Yeah, I think what I wanted to uh, let them know is that it's possible um, that, uh, that we are, there isn't like the cool kids table mm. and that you could go, if you're sitting at the cool kids table, you get to do stuff if you're for a big famous name or something. But what if you're just like ordinary people? <laughs> I mean, like Jesus picked a bunch of fishermen that couldn't get the nets on the right side of the boat most of the time. <laughs> as long as they're the other side right. of the boat. But one of the <laughs> things that I want them to realize is that, man, we all get picked. You just need to decide if you're going to show up. Mm. Um, 
there's a, the Dalai Lama. It's crazy. Like a pope is picked. Like they all cast votes and put it in the chimney. And then a, uh, a Dalai Lama, though, is found because uh, the Buddhists believe he dies and reincarnated and comes back again. So many years ago, the Dalai Lama dies. And they started looking. It took them four years to look around and find where he'd pop up again. And they found this kid. He was four years old. They said, you're the next Dalai Lama. <laughs> I guess they hope he didn't turn into a rapper, but they're like, you're the guy. So this guy is now 78 years old. And uh, China just said, we're picking the next Dalai mm. Lama. And countries don't pick Dalai Lamas. Buddhists find Dalai Lamas. <laughs> so I wondered what this guy would say. And he folded his arms and he said, fine, I'm not reincarnating myself. <laughs> Isn't that the ultimate mic drop? Right. What, like, what do you do with this back. one? Yeah. So I wrote him a letter and I said, you know, if you're not coming back, we won't be able to meet later. But uh, what if we meet like right now? And there's something crazy that happens for each of us when we just move from having it like on a to-do list mm. to like making the call, write the letter, put the stamp on it. Uh, and he said, yes. So we did. <laughs> and I'll tell you, any one of your listeners, they write the letter, they put the stamp on it. They probably get a yes, but I would rather fail trying than not try. You know, I'd rather just like give it a whirl. Oh, I'll give you another example. It was May 14th. I knew I was going to be in London. And so I wrote to the queen. I said, I'm going to be in London on the 14th. If you're in London on the 14th, I mean, let's have some Starbucks. And uh, <laughs> I got a letter back uh, a week later from one of her ladies in waiting. I'm like, lady, what are you waiting for? And so she said, the queen is terribly disappointed that she can't be with you. I'm like, sure, it just tore up. Rushed, yes. But the idea is this. Like, I just felt so much more engaged when I landed in London. And I think for each of us, it'll be that way. If we just live engaged life, living in constant anticipation, don't just like think of, a, you know, some world circumstance, engage it, mm. uh, but, but engage it in the way that is true to who you want to be. Um, for me, I don't want to raise awareness. I don't want to sign a petition. I want to make a friend. Um, and it's not so I can put a picture up on Instagram. Uh, you won't find those. What you'll find is just somebody super engaged and seeing where there's an opportunity and asking the question. Um, and then the crazy part is if you start living those lives, and many of you are already doing that, uh, but like if you're living that life, then these opportunities start kind of finding you. Well, they find you because your eyes are open and your heart is wide open to it, Bob. And so uh, as we begin moving toward our, uh, our pivot point together, talk about Carol. She's a friend of yours. She's got terminal cancer and uh, she's struggling. And you come into her life and then you do something that she'd never done before. So talk, talk about oh, engaging man. with Carol. Yeah, she actually came into my life. I didn't invade hers. It was so beautiful. We uh, lived in this house uh, and uh, Maria told me that she wanted to move. And I'm like, <laughs> can I come? And uh, she <laughs> said, yes. I'm like, yes. So we bought the house across the street. And so it was time to set, you know, sell the house that we had. But we weren't looking for a buyer. We were looking for a neighbor. And there's a big difference between the two. And so we interviewed all these people to see who would be our neighbor. And Carol was a widow and she was moving to San Diego to be a little closer to her family. And, and so we all gave her a big group hug and said, you're our new neighbor. And, and so then we spent the next 20 years like just hanging out together and 
uh, doing life. And uh, I would check in on her all the time because I don't want her at home all alone. And so I called her on one of these uh, times and she said, I just got back from the doctor and I had cancer. And so we were all really sad about it, but we, I ran to Radio Shack and I got us two walkie talkies and I set up one walkie talkie in her bedroom and I set up the other walkie talkie in our bedroom. And then for the next couple of years, we just talked on walkie talkies and we all had cell phones, but walkie talkies are cooler. Like nobody has (laughs) cancer. Right. And so I would say if you're having difficulty communicating with somebody in your life, or they're going through something really difficult, run down to Radio Shack and get a couple of those. You know, they're like 14 yeah, bucks. They are awesome. batteries. Yeah. So uh, we have a parade on our block and we always pick one of the uh, neighbors to be the queen, right? We don't think this idea of loving your neighbor is a metaphor for something else. We actually think it means to love your neighbor. So Carol was the queen and she can't even go to the gas station to fill up without having six people stop her <laughs> and call her your majesty. It's so, and this is like years mm-hmm. later, like she's just, everybody just thinks of her as the queen and there's, that hasn't been, we, our block isn't long. Just everybody's been the queen at mm-hmm. one point or another. <laughs> so uh, we, uh, Carol uh, took a turn for the worse and she ended up in the hospital and we walked in just as the doctor was walking out and he said, Carol, you're going to die. And so we sat on the bed and had a good cry. And then I asked her um, if she wanted to spend her last days, you know, at her home across the street. And when we got there, I said, what's kind of on a bucket list? Something you've always wanted to do that you've just never done before. And she said, you know what? I've never toilet papered anyone's house before. So <laughs> so she called me at four in the afternoon. She's like, let's go. I'm like, girl, you usually go at midnight. But Did she whatever. call you or walkie-talkie you, Bob? Yeah, totally. I'm sure it was walkie-talkies. And so we ended up going across the street and toilet papering one of the neighbor's houses. And just as we were about to throw the last <laughs> roll, the cops showed up and they said, again, they turned on their lights and they're like, you guys like, this is a misdemeanor. I'm like, I'm the consul general for the Republic of Uganda. So I told a buddy, I've got diplomatic immunity and she's dead in a week. <laughs> Sue me. So what I uh, learned from Carol is the idea of just joy right to the end. Uh, just engagement right to the end. And we had the New Year's Day parade and she hung on long enough to see it one last time, but she was too weak to get outside. And so we picked her up and we put her in the front window of her house. And what she didn't know is we changed the parade route Mm. and all 800 people walked right through her front yard. And she sat in her chair blowing kisses goodbye to everybody. And the next day she went to be with Jesus. And it's just really beautiful like that idea of just you can do uh beautiful things overseas and i think that's just terrific but uh i think god isn't dazzled when you go across the ocean he's dazzled when you go across the street and and so for each of us to just find that person that's just around your neighbor i i would suggest if you are listening to this poolside or bus side or on the way to work and you are not moved right now uh, quickly check your pulse, race to the nearest heart center and have it checked because Bob, that, that's one of the most beautiful, simple stories around love that I know, man. It's a really great story. And I, and I know you got a lot of things going on. I want to get a few definitions from you yeah. on, on what you what these words mean to you. So there's, there's four here. Four words I hear you use a lot. I see it in all your writings, all your work. Word number one, hope. 
what does hope mean to you? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, confidence in things you haven't seen before. Uh, you don't need a Bible verse for everything, but uh, faith's a big deal for me. So it was Hebrews 11 when it just said, it's confidence in what you're hoping for, assurance in what you haven't seen yet. So I'm hoping for tons of stuff, you know, for our country, for my family, for the world. And it's stuff that I, I just know what I'm hoping for. Uh, and I have confidence, even though I haven't seen it yet. I have assurance, even though it hasn't come to pass. What about your definition of regret? Regret would be uh, the rearview mirror. That's the first thing that comes to mind, uh, that we spend a lot of time, some of us looking in the rearview mirror. <laughs> it doesn't make you a very good driver. Mm -hmm. uh, every time I look at the rearview mirror in my car, I'm like, that's for combing your hair. Um, and so I want to spend a lot more time looking forward than backwards. That's awesome. What is your definition? This is your biggest word. It's on your books. It's in your work. It's the heart of what you're doing. What is your definition and the meaning of the word love to you? Yeah, I think love is uh, this expression uh, into the world. If, it, if it's faith that drives you, it's an expression of faith. If it's your love for humanity, it's an expression of that. If it's if it's just living in harmony with people, it's, but your best expression of what you really believe without an agenda. Mm -hmm. um, I asked my daughter when she was in high school to tell all the boys that wanted her to go to the prom to tell her what their definition of love was. And if they came back and said it was like butterflies, I mean, you can get that from bad pizza, but <laughs> love, I think, is sacrifice and commitment. And so if we knew that it meant sacrifice and commitment, not just a uh, like happy feeling all the mm -hmm. time, uh, then we'd just actually beat in. It was sacrifice and commitment, no agenda, just nothing on the other side of the equal sign. And then a word that I had read repeatedly in, in the past, but you don't hear it as often lately. And then you brought it back and love does. The word is whimsical. It's a great word. What does the word whimsical mean to you? Isn't that kind of a it's neat an word? awesome, awesome word? Yeah. Whimsy. I mean, you use it frequently, and I loved it. I underlined it every time. Yeah, it, I think it's that. It's again, it's this a creative expression. When I think of whimsy, it's something that somebody's willing to do. It's this. If you're a creative and you're listening to this podcast, it's that expression that you've been uh, like. You're just not going to hold it back anymore. You're just going to let it just realize we're like rivers, not reservoirs. So we're not going to hold back this stuff. We're just going to let it flow. And so it would be the best version of that. It wouldn't be expression of opinions. There would be expressions of love. It would be like creative. Who would ever think to do that? That's that whimsy part. It's like the secret sauce mm. that will be the few things, the little snapshots when your life is remembered, uh, those will be the things. It'll be like I cut out the left pocket of every pair of pants I have. I literally have no pairs of pants <laughs> with a left pocket. And that seems so like eccentric because it is so eccentric. But there's a reason behind it. It's like you know, for all of us, our life is the sum of everything we're hanging on to and everything we're willing to let go of. And so my right pocket is where I hang on to things, but my left pocket is where everything, if I put my car keys in there, mm -hmm. they're just gone, right you down. have to take Uber home. And so that would be whimsy. That would just be say, you know why you're doing what you're doing and it's a little unlikely, but it's a constant reminder. I always wear a Mickey Mouse watch. I'm like, if he's smiling, I'm smiling. <laughs> and sometimes we're the only two in the room smiling. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's whimsy. It's, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. There's this thing behind the thing. I'll tell you one last one. 
uh, I wear a Boston Red Sox hat. I've been wearing this hat now for a couple of years, and it's not because I like the Red Sox. I've never gone to a game. <laughs> what, who knew they'd wear the, win the mm-hmm. World Series? But Carol was a huge Red Sox fan, and I made a deal before uh, she passed on. I said, Carol, I'll wear your Red Sox hat for the rest of my life and represent the Sox here on earth. But in exchange, when you get to heaven and Jesus walks by you, you need to mention my name. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm keeping up my end of the deal. I don't know if she is. Um, But now that they won the the World Series last week, what I'm going to do is go to her graveside and see if I can renegotiate the deal. Right, dude. I think the people hissing at me. You've been liberated, (laughs) Bob. I free you on the Live Inspired podcast. Thank you. And we are going to wrap up with the questions we ask all of our guests at the end of the show. We call them the Live Inspired Seven. Question number one, Bob Goff, in short order, what is the best book that you have ever read? Um, One of the... uh, uh, authors that's influenced me the most and a friend is Don Miller. He wrote a book called A Million Miles mm-hmm. in a Thousand Years. There's another one called Scary Close, but those are awfully good books. Well, and the, the cool thing about you and Don is you both celebrate one another. And so you're you're pointing the attention back to this this mentor of you, yours who views you as the mentor. What, what, I love that. I mean, it really He's a is. good guy. Actually, I did the math. It's only like 20 miles an hour to go a million miles in a thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not that hard, Don. What, th- this question is hard for some of our guests. And I think you're just going to know it immediately because you live it. So here's question number two. What is one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brilliant, brilliantly today? Um, well, I would say curiosity and I think I'm remaining curious, but I was more curious when I'm young and I'm trying to like kind of, uh, fan the coals of that childlike faith. Mm. Bob, if your house caught fire and all living things are out and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, just one, what would you grab? My kids, uh, uh, made some artwork when they were really young and I would run and grab that. We actually had our home burned down. So I actually have some experience along those lines, but yeah, yeah, that's literally what I grab. It would be some things from our kids that I would want them to remember. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want that person to be? I think Mark Twain would be a really interesting guy to talk to wow. like he just i know that's his his writing name but i just think that would be really beautiful what, to just what is your first the, question the, to samuel clemens what, what, yes, what would you twitter what would you, guy before twitter what would you ask him <laughs> what's the first thing you ask i think i just i i would run down a list of things that have my attention about hope and confidence and purpose and meaning and what i'd like is that he wouldn't feel like he was trying to teach me something uh, and that's the deal. What the people that were my greatest teachers just thought we were friends. Um, and I, th- I have this impression from reading his work that he would just think we were friends. Mm. What is the best advice that you've ever received? Huh. I would say from a grandparent, um, it would be that it's possible. Like mm. you could actually do this. Um, and they were very poor by all standards, but they were rich in spirit. Bob, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? I think it'd be really similar things. I'd tell uh, that guy to swing for the fences. 
Um, I tell uh, him what Sweet Maria Goff keeps telling me, which is to keep my eye on my own paper and not be looking on everybody else's paper to see what they're writing down. <laughs> That's just, awesome advice. Just go write your, yeah, write your own music. Bob Goff, it has been said that all great leaders and inspirations and authors and speakers and human beings, you're one of them, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? Oh, yeah. It would be this, be not afraid. Yeah, that's it. There's a, I know Hemingway did a contest that was, you know, shortest story in six words. And his was a for sale baby shoes never used. I could say for my six word would be what if we weren't afraid anymore? Bob Goff, you are exhibit A of living boldly, daring greatly, not being afraid anymore. Uh, joy right until the end and uh, to remind others to be known not for our opinions, but for our love. So man, I, I so am grateful for your work, for your words, for your love and for your life. Hey, thanks a million. Great to talk to you. And for the listeners that are uh, faithful to this podcast, to encourage them, just go take the next step, your next courageous step, whatever that is. My friends, that is Bob Goff. I am John O'Leary, and this is your day. Love does live inspired. Woo, my friends, that man is a ball of energy. You got a snapshot, and I mean like a still frame black and white picture of the human storm in a positive way that is Bob Goff. This man is a mover, he's a shaker, he's a dreamer, he's creative, he's faithful, he's bold. He is on fire for life and for love. And if you wanna learn more about Bob, the work he does, the impact that he has, and uh, where you can pick up his books and everything else, I encourage you today to cruise over to johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. We're gonna have the show notes there, which is awesome. I'll have the quotes there that I was writing down while he was speaking, which were beautiful. We'll have links to Bob's work. And we'll have other links to other podcasts that might inform how to take the next step forward in your journey. I I don't always have the opportunity on these podcasts to summarize what I heard, but on today's episode, I was so moved that I wanted to spend just a couple minutes with you right now on the backside of this podcast, sharing with you a few of the notes that I took down on the chance. I know everybody's got their pens out and their journals open. I know this, but on the chance you missed one, you, you may want to grab that pen one more time and write a few of these down. Here we go. Be known for your opinions. Uh, actually, don't be known just for your opinions, but re- be remembered for your love. Oh, that's a big one. That allows us to not only paint our house pink, but to re- be remembered not just for that pink house, but for the men and women, the boys and girls that resided within it. Be remembered for your love. If you are doing things for the applause, join the circus. That was awesome. This is true for speakers, which I happen to find myself doing today. It's true for podcast hosts and authors. Yes, yes, yes. But I would suggest it's true for volunteers up at church and school and synagogues. It's true for those of us who are in the corporate world or nurses, doctors, teachers. If you're doing the work you do for the applause, uh, join the circus. Do what you do instead from a, a stronger sense of purpose and a desire to lift up those around us. That was powerful. Uh, He used the term quickly and then we pivoted away from it, but I wrote it down, beautiful invasion. 
this idea of a beautiful invasion. Be a beautiful invasion in the life of those that you enter into today. Elevate them, uh, be whimsical in front of them, remind them of the reason for joy in their own life. It's possible, it's all possible. It's a lesson that, that Bob's grandparents taught him, one that he continues to exude and exhibit today. Move it from the to-do list to take an action. Put a stamp on it, drop it in the mailbox, send it today. He was referring to sending letters to a couple hundred global leaders with his little kids. He was referring to the trip that he made to 50 different countries with these kids in tow to sit side by side with some of the most influential leaders in the world. But he was sharing all of that to tell us whether it's a relationship that's crumbled or a passion project that we've been putting on the back burner for way too long, to move it from the to-do list to take an action, put a stamp on it, drop it in the mail, send it today. Great advice. Live in constant engagement, engage in life, but do it in order to become who we can become tomorrow by who we already are today. And then he said, don't just look for buyers look for neighbors. He was talking about selling his house across the street to someone that he wanted to live next to. But I get the feeling it's much bigger than that. Don't just look for buyers, look for neighbors. Then the next challenge is once you get the neighbor, buy him a walkie-talkie. Uh, something Bob did not share around walkie-talkies is he sold a book called Love Does. A couple million copies were sold. The final page of the book it doesn't tell you where you can learn more about how great Bob is. Do you know what the final page has? Bob's cell phone, okay? The dude has left his cell phone in the back of a couple million copies of Love Does. He's got the walkie-talkie going. This man has made himself available. I think it's crazy and near criminal. He's given his front door key to dictators and rulers around the world. But the man, you can't, you can't discredit this. He, he's practicing what he is preaching. So get the walkie-talkie, pick it up. Over, pick it up. I think it's good advice. Uh, he learned from Carol this gift of being joy. I got emotional hearing that story. Be joy right up until the end. As the parade goes by your house and as your hair has completely fallen out and as you're taking near the end, uh, the last of your breaths, come on out into the stoop and wave goodbye with a smile on your face and tears in your eyes. Be joy until the end. And just a couple more things that I wrote down. Be confident in things that you have not seen. Have assurance in things that you long to achieve and be part of. Uh, have an expression of what compels you to do great things, but have that expression with no agenda attached to it. Love daringly, but don't expect anything in return, in other words. Bob challenged us to be rivers and not reservoirs, uh, to be <clears throat> expressions of our opinions, certainly, but to do that expression <clears throat> with love. And then finally, I think this is great advice. Be not afraid. As we pivot into the holiday season, and for those of you who, uh, who believe in the Christmas season, which I do, the most common expression celebrated as we move toward the Christmas season is this be not afraid. It's the most common expression scripturally. I think it ought to be whether you are worshiping a church, a synagogue, or at a coffee shop, maybe one we ought to hold up high today in this season that is so divisive and so full of negativity and so fueled by fear. Listen to these words again, be not afraid. 
It is the message of Bob Goff's life. Let it be the message of our lives too, my friends. I wanna thank you again for being part of our Live Inspired community. I wanna thank you for choosing to not be afraid. I wanna thank you for choosing to be expressions of love in your life. And I wanna remind you that this is your day. Live inspired. And if you wanna learn more about being inspired and being fully awake in your own life, come on over and check out the Live Inspired podcast and our community at johnolearyinspires.com. So for this time, and until next time, this is John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live inspired.